At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. You may be seated, friends. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much for leading us. How many of you are grateful for our worship team? Grateful to God. Hallelujah. I like that bass chord on the way out. I like that. Thank you, brother. I'm grateful for you. So uh, uh, today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to finish up our series called Unshakable that we've been in for about nine weeks. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through verse 25. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you brought one with you. If you did not, the words will be on the screen behind me. But we absolutely need to read God's word every single day. Amen? You need to know what the Bible says more than you need to know what I say, right? you got to make sure that I'm telling the truth. So this passage that we're going to look at today reminds me of another passage in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 39. It's a familiar story uh, of, of a man named Joseph, a young brother named Joseph who had a dream. God gave him a dream that his older brothers would one day bow down to him. So uh, if you, how many older siblings out here? Yeah. How many of you would like it if your little brother or little sister said one day you're going to bow down to me? No hands go up. All right. So that's exactly how it felt for Joseph and his brothers, except they sold him into slavery and faked his death. So uh, probably not a great dinner conversation when you get back and your dad's like, where's Joseph? And you break this news. So Joseph, though, God was with him. Even though his brothers betrayed him, even though he was sold into slavery, even though seems like Joseph had a really bad day. God was still with him. And the slavery that he was sold into was household slavery in a man's house by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar was in charge of a bunch of stuff in Egypt. So Joseph got sold into a house of, uh, of great authority. And because God was with him, Potiphar set Joseph as ruler over most of his household. So even though he was sold into slavery, he still had control of a bunch of things. So God was with Joseph. And then Potiphar's wife, she happened to take notice of Joseph. Uh, and she said, why don't you come on over and spend some time with me? Uh, And Joseph said, you're not my wife, so I'm not supposed to do that. Amen, anyone? Anyone? Yeah, okay, all right, I just want to make sure we're we're all here together on this one. You're not my wife, so I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, but Potiphar's wife, she was a relentless woman, uh, and she wanted Joseph. So she tricked him, got him to come over to the house. He still fled because he was not supposed to do that, but he left his coat there. She grabbed it on the way out, and she told her husband and said, look at what this your servant tried to come do to me. Now, a Hebrew household slave, almost in any other circumstance like this, by an Egyptian man in charge, would have been sentenced to death. Execution was the worthy punishment for this crime. However, God was with Joseph. So we need to remember that even if God is with us, sometimes we might suffer. That Joseph was punished for doing the right thing. And this is important for us today. As we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, we're going to talk about suffering today. Any amens for that? Oh, right. Amens for suffering. Hallelujah. Just because you're following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that your life is going to be free from suffering. Now, many pastors teach and motivational speakers teach uh, falsely, I might add, that if you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, and you'll be free from suffering. You won't have to go through anything. Just give it all to Jesus, and he'll take care of everything, and you're not going to have any troubles anymore. 
And while that's a nice message, that's just not true. That's not in the Bible. It's in direct opposition to Scripture and in direct opposition to the history of the church. So the truth that we will learn today from our eight short verses in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that believers in Christ will suffer for doing good. Believers in Christ will suffer for doing good. Now with that said, again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. Everybody there? Say amen if you're there. Amen. Say I need a minute if you need a minute. All right. Peter, two weeks ago, uh, looked at how we are supposed to live in subject to human institutions, right? Where he closed our time two weeks ago uh, with honor everybody, love the brotherhood or the church, fear God, honor the emperor. We talked about submission to human authority and human institutions, specifically in the name of the government and how we are called to be subject. Remember that word, hupotasso, to be in willful obedience or submit, a submissive relationship to the governing authorities that are over us. Now, Peter is going to talk about basically the same principle, but he's going to transition it just a little bit. He's not talking about the government specifically anymore. He's talking about in the workplace or anywhere that you are up under authority. How many of you are up under authority? How many of you got a boss? How many of you love your boss? How come some hands went down? What's up, y'all? Okay, all right. Then uh, you just confessed you need this message today, okay? So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 25, we're going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to look at three ways to stay faithful while suffering unjustly. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sacred scripture that is timeless. Thank you that it is true. We are deeply searching for something true today. Thank you that you've given us your word. So in the name of Jesus, please reveal to our minds and our hearts and our soul and our spirit how we are to follow you, Jesus. How we are to live lives as believers and how we might encounter suffering what we are to do. We love you, Lord. We can't do it without you. We ask in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're going to jump into the first word here. There's something i got to clear up before we can jump into these three ways. Peter opens this with the word servants. And when he says servants, he's referring to the kind of servant that Joseph was as well. This is a household slave. So uh, anytime there's something that comes up in the Bible that people don't want to talk about, we're going to spend extra time on that because we need to understand what the word of truth has to say about this. It says servants be subject to your earthly masters, right? Now that sentence doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but we have to understand where this is coming from from. 
Peter is writing into a first century context, not a 21st century context. So in the 21st century, when we hear slavery, the most commonly what we think of is the transatlantic slave trade, the chattel slavery, this, this slavery that was enacted by Great Britain and Africa and the United States of America, where people were beaten and murdered and raped and killed, and the Bible says that is sin. The Bible says that is abhorrent and reprehensible. Right? So this is wrong. But this is not the same kind of household slavery necessarily. Now, there were, there were bad masters. There were unjust household leaders in the first century as well. But this is not the exact same thing. And we're going to get there when we talk about these words in just a minute. Household servants, as Peter is talking about in verse 18, these people could have been pastors of churches. These people could have been physicians in the household. That they were learned and trained. These people were often given uh, education of the children as one of their primary duties. So these were not people that were uh, uh, systematically beaten and oppressed. These were people that were brought into the household. Now, the New Testament nowhere affirms slavery. It says that it should not happen everywhere because it talks about also in, in 1 Timothy when the Apostle Paul is writing to his spiritual son, training him how to be a pastor. He gives him a list of things that are contrary to sound doctrine or things that go against the glorious gospel. And one of those things in there is a word that is translated to enslavers. This Greek word means kidnappers or man-stealers with the expressed intent of buying a person to sell them for profit. Now Paul says that that is sin. Paul says that goes against the gospel. So the New Testament abhors that kind of slavery. But what Peter is doing here and what we need to understand is happening here, that while the New Testament never affirms slavery, Peter is speaking into societal structures that are already in existence. So we have to understand that the New Testament primarily speaks into societal structures of the first century that were already in existence and how we as believers are supposed to behave. Now, when we see the word uh, slave or servant or bondservant in Scripture, most commonly it would be the Greek word doulos. And we are actually all, if you're following Christ, you are a doulos of Christ. That you are a slave to Christ, a servant of Christ, a bondservant to Christ. That we are tied to him. That we are his servants. That's what the scripture says about us if we're following Christ. But that's not the word that Peter uses here. The word he uses in verse 18 is oiketes, which comes from a Greek word, which is why we say spiritual family on mission all the time. The word is oikos. Oikos means the family, the household, the dwelling place, the place where you're all together, right? So oiketes is someone that fits into the family. So this is radical language in the first century because slaves or uh, uh, household servants or bond servants, they weren't even addressed in literature in the first century. They weren't even part of the household code in the Greco-Roman uh, language structure and definitely in the Roman Empire. So what Peter is actually doing by saying oiketes, by saying you are a member of this household, yes, you are a household servant but you're a member of this household is actually elevating this person to a place of dignity similar to what Paul did in Galatians chapter 3 when he said that in Christ there is now no longer male nor female there is now no longer Jew nor Greek there is now no longer slave nor free for all are one in Christ everybody's follow everybody who's following Christ is one we are one person we are equal and we are even and that's what Peter does here in verse 19 where he universalizes the word servant in verse 18 to call it uh, says one one who's doing this in verse 19 so what we're seeing here 
is Peter throwing regulation by the Holy Spirit of the living God of how to maintain a faithful gospel witness inside of an existing societal structure. That is important for every single one of us. Every one of us needs to learn how to maintain a faithful gospel witness even while we're enduring suffering inside of an existing societal structure. Amen? Okay, we got through the first word of our text today, and it's all downhill from here on out, all right? So we're going to move a little bit more quickly, but we need to understand that as Peter is writing this, no one gets to check out. No one gets to not listen because this isn't me, that all of us are up under authority. How many of you have a boss at work? Really? All y'all own your own companies? This is amazing. How many of you have a spouse? Okay, I won't finish that one, but you, you know where I'm going, right? We're all servants up under earthly masters somewhere. So this letter from Peter to the church that he was leading is important to us. Because if we understand believers in Christ will suffer for doing good, the answer we need to have is how do we stay faithful to Christ while suffering unjustly? We're going to look at three ways to maintain our faithful witness to Christ while suffering unjustly. The first way is that we have to find the grace in the suffering. Find the grace in the suffering. Now, these first three verses that we already looked at, Peter is encouraging these elect exiles, right? Or these people that they're just passing through just like we are. We have a heavenly destination. Our home is in heaven. We have two addresses, right? One in heaven and one probably somewhere in the tri-county area. And all of our problems exist at the address somewhere in the tri-county area. Peter is continuing in this vein of submission to authority. Continuing in this idea of being subject to those who are in charge over us. And as he's telling these people how to do it, he says you are to be subject to your earthly masters, not just the good and gentle ones, but also the ones that are completely whack. Uh, unjust is the word it uses, but it means crooked, right? So crooks or thieves or liars or cheats, that you are supposed to be in submission to them with all respect, Oh, a couple amens. That's good. All right. We got no amens at the first service for that. I, I let them know. I'll let you know when it's time to say hallelujah. Don't worry. Because this message is not going to be laden with a bunch of hallelujahs unless you're looking right square in the face of Jesus. So you may as well do that now. So what we see happening, Peter is saying that regardless of treatment that's received, that this is a matter of proactive principle. That you have to make up your mind and make a decision to respect before you're going to have to make the decision to respect. How many defensive people we got in here? Come on, when somebody yells at you or cuts you off, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You get defensive real quick. I know how that goes because I used to be one of those. Now I just realize I lost. It's okay, right? So this is why it's proactive. Peter is saying, no matter how your boss treats you, you are still supposed to submit to them and give them respect, no matter how you're treated. Amen. Okay, let's all say amen. I know it's hard, right? Yeah, it's good. So Peter's saying, even when we endure unjust hardship, even when we endure suffering, we're still called to be respectful. Now, I know that we as human beings, we are looking for the way out, right? We're looking for the back door. We're looking for any shred of way that I can be disobedient to this. And it's the same thing as two weeks ago, right? That if your boss tells you to directly and explicitly ignore or go against scripture, that's when you have to 
choose who you're going to be obedient to. You're either going to be obedient to the Jesus of scriptures or you're going to be obedient to an earthly master. And if those things do come into conflict, I want to give you permission to obey Jesus. Because even if you get fired from that job, I know I got one person in here that can testify and say, God's going to give me a better job. I know that God is going to lead me and guide because he's going to take care of me, right? So what Peter says here in verse 19 and 20 is that this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That even if we're enduring unjust suffering, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. How could that be? Because the world needs to see what submission looks like when you are called up under authority, even if you don't like it. Okay? Even if you don't like what's going on, if it's not explicitly against the scriptures, we are called to submit to our earthly authority. And in verse 20, you know, Peter, obviously a disciple of Jesus, I think he's just quoting Jesus. He's paraphrasing Jesus. In, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, even sinners love those who love them. What benefit it is to you if you love the people that are easy to love? So then Jesus gets to the bottom of that and he says, this is why you are to love your enemies amen good job church all together i like that right because the world needs to see this the world needs to see what this looks like the world needs to see this modeled because the world is not going to model it for themselves they need the church to model it people everywhere desperately need jesus people are dying for an alive example of what it looks like to follow jesus not a perfect example you just got to be alive friend and you got to be alive by the way of scripture so God rewards this. It's a gracious thing in his sight. He rewards us being patient in this suffering. He rewards us continuing, even when we're suffering to an unjust, crooked leader. He rewards this. He sees this. And he delights to be generous to those who have lived mindful of him. When we are mindful of Christ at all times, God is delighted to reward that. Now, there may not be a reward coming from General Motors for being a Christian anytime soon, right? And your coworkers may not look at you and say, oh, that Christian person, you know, they're doing so good. No, usually they'll call you a suck up, right? Usually they'll say, you need to stand up for yourself. Why do you let them walk all over you? You need to go get yours, right? You need to go do whatever you can to be happy. And yeah, that's nice. It's just not true. It's just not the Bible. So, Enduring this suffering unjustly is an act that finds favor with God. And as we wrap up this series, Unshakable, today, we go right back to the place where we started, right? When, when Drew preached this nine weeks ago about rejoicing in your suffering, enduring your suffering, even though it says even if you are grieved now for a little while... The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. The genuineness of your faith is being tested by the trials that we are all going through. Peter is not teaching something new here in verses 18 through 25. He's merely adding another layer onto it, saying that when you go to work, when you have an earthly master that you're supposed to be up under their authority, you are called to submit with all respect. Now, if your boss is riding you, you know, five days a week, if your boss is ragging on you, you know, for showing up late to work three days a week, or like, you know, maybe you don't have great integrity and you wear flip-flops when you're supposed to be in business casual, right, and your boss just won't let go of you, it's because you deserve it. You, you deserve to get in trouble when you are acting in a way that's not integrous. You deserve to be in trouble when you are not prompt. You deserve for your boss to get on you when you don't submit your work on time, when you don't engage in meetings, right? How many of you have been on a Zoom call in the last six months? How many of you have seen the static picture with the muted mic? How many of you have done that? How many of you were in the room? <laughs> right? I get it, right? I understand. 
But when you get cooked by your boss for doing the right things, that is God loving you. That is God caring for you. That is God making you better by showing you that if you say you follow Christ, you need to be the most integrous employee in your workplace. You need to be the person that's on time all the time. And if you're going to be late, make a call. Send a text, right? You're sending plenty of texts all day, every day, to so on and so forth, right? Just do the right thing. Now, enduring this suffering, though, if your boss is on top of you and you show up on time. If your boss is all over you and you are always engaged, if you're always submitting good work that's due on time and you're submitting it at the right time and your boss stays on you and your boss continues to pick with you and your boss passes you up for promotions and your boss discriminates against you because of your faith, that's where you got to find the grace in the suffering. That's where you are suffering for the Lord's sake and it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's why we have to find the grace in the suffering because God's going to reward that. Because we may not get a reward at General Motors. You may not get a reward at whatever company you work at. But you will get a reward from God if you live your entire life mindful of him even when you endure suffering. So the question we have to answer for ourselves, am I experiencing suffering because I'm living for Jesus or am I experiencing suffering because I'm living for myself? Now, I think all of us are experiencing suffering in some way. And if you're not, that's okay. That just means God is supernaturally blessing you and consoling you, and it's great, right? It's really, really good. We're not going to get mad at God when we're not suffering, right? But I'm not saying, and Peter's not saying, that just because you're not suffering means you're doing everything right. I'm also not saying that just because you are suffering means you're a Christian. Sometimes you're suffering because you're disobedient. You can say, oh, good. I was about to prompt you guys to say amen. Well done. Y'all are getting there. But you weren't saying amen about your own disobedience though, right? It's someone else. I know. I get it. I get it. I've been there. Ultimately, we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. That we have to look at our model of Jesus. That's the only place we can find grace in the suffering. Because when we look at our suffering, the first thing that comes out of our mouth is, ouch, I don't like this. But when we look at Jesus, we can say, ah. I see what you are doing. And you can trust that the Lord is in that place with you. You can trust that God sees you in that place. That it's a gracious thing in his sight when you suffer unjustly for righteousness sake. Find the grace in the suffering. Now, if you're not experiencing any suffering, you may need to evaluate your life. Again, I'm not saying that if you are suffering, you're definitely Christian. And I'm also not saying that if you aren't suffering, you can't be a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Peter's saying. That's not what the Bible says. But I do believe that we as Christians, if we live upstanding and faithful witness lives here in this world, the world is going to say, I don't like that. That doesn't look like me. That uh, offends me because the gospel at its core is offensive to humanity. Because humanity, we want to do what we want to do. The gospel says, no, you got to do it my way. Jesus says, I want to give you this, but you got to do it my way. Because that's the only way to get to eternal life. So, you may just need to ask some questions or evaluate your life if you're not experiencing any suffering. Again, God may be supernaturally consoling your life and just making it all sunshine and rainbows and skittles and unicorns and great stuff. But if you're not suffering at all, you may need to ask the question like, am I, I don't even know why that came out, Ken. I see you laughing. I, I don't know, man. I just, it just came out. I'm not really sure. That's not in the notes. <laughs> it's okay. I laugh at myself too. I'm here for a good time, guys. You may need to ask, am I just trying to keep my head down when I'm supposed to stand up for Jesus? 
Or am I just trying my best not to offend somebody even though I know the road they're walking on is going to lead to death? We got to stand up for righteousness. And then when we incur that unjust suffering, that's where we can find the grace in the suffering. And when we find the grace in the suffering, that's when we can move to our next point. Our next way to stay faithful is to follow the ways of Jesus through the suffering. Find the grace in the suffering and then follow the ways of Jesus through the suffering. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. For to this you have been called. If you're a Christian, you've been called to this, is what this is saying, okay? All of us, not just men, not just women, not just special people or those God's punishing. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So the second thing we see here is Peter understands what this sojourning as an elect exile is going to look like. He understands that the vast majority of the world is not going to like the message of Jesus. He understands that you may suffer for righteousness sake, that you may suffer unjustly. So he says, I'm not going to leave you high and dry. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to give you an example for how you're supposed to follow this if you do suffer unjustly. Look at Jesus. He's saying, look at your Lord. You're called to follow in his footsteps. Jesus suffered for you, so if you're following in his footsteps, it may be rightful to assume that you could potentially suffer for Jesus. So as we are going through this suffering, as we are suffering injustice, as we are suffering for the sake of righteousness, we have to understand how to follow the ways of Jesus through this suffering as we follow in his footsteps. Now the last four verses of our scripture today, verse 22 through 25, Peter is clearly quoting and alluding to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a title, is a chapter entitled The Suffering Servant, and it's about Jesus, right? So if we have yoked our lives to Jesus and we're following Jesus and we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, then we have to understand what the suffering servant went through and we may have to do it as we follow him. Now, this is not meant to make you feel real bad. If you are feeling guilty, then that's the grace of God on your life because that means he can still reach you with the word of God. This is meant to encourage us, though. This is meant to encourage us to look at Jesus, to look at our suffering and then look at Jesus because innocent suffering is a part of identification with Christ. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. We're going to see three ways here that we can follow Jesus in this. He committed no sin. Jesus committed no sin, did nothing wrong, yet suffered and died. So we have to look at his life to understand how we suffer rightly. How many of you have committed a sin? How many of you are not going to raise your hand no matter what I say? Okay, all right. You can't still have your hand up, guys. All right, that's okay. We'll get there. I know, I know suffering's not a whole lot of fun to talk about, but we have to talk about it. So Jesus never sinned, yet he suffered. Now let's look at the second part of 22 and the first part of 23. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was not a liar. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I know the temptation to lash out when someone mistreats you. I know the feeling that we have that rises up inside of us, right? I know when you feel like somebody turned the thermostat up two degrees, right? I get it. I understand what that feels like when you feel like you're being disrespected, when you feel like you're being mistreated. But this is why we have to look at Jesus, following the ways of Jesus through the suffering. It said there was no deceit found in his mouth. Jesus never lied. He was not a liar. And he always spoke the truth. 
The truth is going to get you in trouble every now and then, but you always got to speak the truth. It said when he was reviled, he, was not, he did not revile in return. That when somebody called him a name, he did not call a name back to them, right? It, it did not turn into a roast. He didn't go that way. And then it says that he did not threaten when he was threatened. Jesus was dragged from judgment hall to judgment hall, spit upon, his beard plucked out, scourged, striped, whipped, beaten, yet never threatened back. How is that? How is it that Jesus, right, we know he's God, but we're called to follow him and we're empowered by his Holy Spirit, friends. But if he can go through that and not threaten, not revile, and not have any deceit found in his mouth, why do we go crazy when someone calls us a name on Facebook? It's not even real life. It's not even in your face. You're laughing because we know it's true. Because we know we got to do better, church. So we look to the ways of Jesus and we follow the ways of Jesus through the suffering. This is the important one for us. Verse 23, he entrusted himself to the Father. And how could he do that? Why would he do that? How could somebody possibly entrust themselves to the Father when they're going through all that, knowing that one day he will just, he will judgely, judge justly, excuse me. One day he will judge justly. I've heard this over and over again, and we talked about this two weeks ago. There's a lot going on in our country. There's a lot going on in the world, right? And there's a lot of polarization happening, and we're coming up with all kinds of ways to separate from brothers and sisters, and what I hear so commonly is, they're getting away with it. When we understand the eternal nature of our Father, who will always judge justly, nobody gets away with anything. They may be getting away with it for a moment. They may get away with it for four years at a time. They may get away with it for a day. But we must fully entrust ourselves to the Father. Knowing that he will judge justly. I think that we have been uh, wrapped up in this exclusive immediacy, right? That, that when we are exclusively focusing on the immediate outcome of things, what that displays, in my opinion, is a lack of trust for the eternal things. A lack of trust that we do have a father that is going to reconcile everything one day. He's going to set every wrong right. He's going to make everything new, a new heaven and a new earth. And all the justice will reign through Jesus one day. So we can't say they're getting away with it. All we have to say is, God, you see it. God will do something about all of this. This is why Jesus could be dragged judgment hall to judgment hall. This is why he could have a crown of thorns pushed into his head. This is why he could breathe his last breath and commit his life to the Father because he fully entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Who are you entrusting yourself to? Are you entrusting your own life to your own protection? Are you entrusting yourself to your company? Are you entrusting yourself to your bank account? Are you entrusting yourself to your spouse or that man or that woman? Who are you fully entrusting your life to? And if it's not the Father, we're going to be far too focused on the immediate. We're going to be far too wrapped up in the immediate. Because what happens when we follow the ways of Jesus through the suffering, that's how we get to the third way. And the thing we have to do is focusing on the overseer of our souls. The third way that we can stay faithful through suffering is to focus on the overseer of your soul. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
By his wounds you've been healed. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter now here gives us the motivation of gratitude to the imitation he's counseling. To imitate Jesus is not an easy thing to do all the time, right? Following Christ is the simplest way of life while being the most difficult way of life at the same time, right? It's very simple how to follow Jesus. He gave us the instructions, right? He showed us what to do. He gave us the Holy Spirit of the living God, right? We have all the tools we could ever need to follow Jesus. We just tend to get in the way all the time. Now, it's very difficult, but it's also very simple. But Peter here gives us the motivation of what we're supposed to do as he's counseling this imitation. Be grateful. Be grateful that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Be grateful that Jesus took all of your penalty, all of my penalty, all the stuff that we couldn't carry on our own, he carried it for us to the tree, knowing that he's the fulfillment of the prophecy, the tree in Deuteronomy 21, right? We know that this one-time act, his crucifixion, we experience all the benefits of his death if we have hidden our life with Christ, if we have given him all of our faith, hope, and trust, we know that we experience these benefits. By his wounds, we've been healed, Friends, this is an amazing moment to be grateful. This is an amazing thing. Peter's saying, you gotta be grateful for what Jesus has done for you. You have to understand how you get all this stuff, why all this stuff happened, and what is the outcome. The outcome is so that you can die too. But not, not the same death Jesus died. So you can die to sin. He died for sin. So that your life can die to sin and that you may live for the sake of righteousness. This is the only way we can suffer through injustice. This is the only way that we can suffer and not revile in return. This is the only way that we can suffer with all respect to our earthly authorities is by looking at Jesus. We have to focus on Jesus. Our lives must be characterized by righteousness if our lives are hidden with Christ, right? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the point here is that the salvation that's experienced from Jesus is not just freedom from future judgment exclusively, and it's not just freedom to live to righteousness right now exclusively, it's both and. It is the most encompassing message of freedom any universe has ever heard, that you are free to live to righteousness right now, and you are free from the punishment that you rightly deserve. And the only way we can get there is by focusing on the overseer of our soul, because we're reminded that Jesus suffered unjustly for us. As the worship team comes back up, we're, we're going to land here uh, on this story. Peter goes into the past tense, right? He says, you were straying, you were like sheep that went astray, but you have returned to the shepherd. Is that your story today? Or are you still wandering lost? Are we still looking around? Are we still grazing in Satan's pastures? You were straying, but you have returned. There's past tense here, because Peter is saying, you don't have to live like this anymore. Brother, sister, this doesn't have to be your story anymore. That you can experience all the benefits that Christ gave you on the cross, and that can be your story today, just like it was a story of people in the first century. That you can stop straying you can stop running. You can stop wandering. You can stop being lost. You can come home to your shepherd who wants to feed you, lead you, know you, care for you, and protect you. And you can come home to your overseer who's going to guard your soul. That it might be hard, but you'll never do it alone if you come back to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So is that your story today? Are you still wandering lost? Or have you returned? Because we can't have both, friends. 
that we have to end up on one side of this. So Peter here, he gives these benevolent titles for Jesus as a shepherd. A shepherd is somebody that would leave the 99 to go after the one. A shepherd is somebody that knows their sheep and their sheep know their voice. An overseer is somebody that can guard our souls. That no matter what you're going through, the hardest part about going through stuff is going through it when you feel like you're alone. I've got little kids and my, my kids can go through anything if they know I'm there. They're not scared of anything if they know I'm there. That They're wrong for that, right? Like, I'm scared, and I'm like, yeah, we're going to be okay. <laughs> but if I'm there, it's enough for them. Why is it not enough for us? Jesus is here. Maybe we can't physically touch him, but we can touch his bride. We can touch his body. We can feel the warmth of his embrace by the local church. We can feel a word fitly spoken by his local church. We can understand that Jesus is here and we are feeling him. We'll never be alone. That we may be suffering and you may even be suffering unjustly, but you're never going to be lost and you're never going to be alone if you've returned to the shepherd. And that's something to get excited about, friends. That's something to praise Jesus about. When you suffer, where's your focus? If your focus is on the pain, you're going to be tempted to ask a question that's not wrong. It's just not the best question. The question we're tempted to ask when we suffer and we're focused on our suffering is why? Why do I have to go through this? Why isn't she going through this? Why doesn't he feel like that? He drank one more beer than I did last night. That's okay. He, that's all right. I know some of y'all drank beer last night. It's okay. Why is not a wrong question to ask. It's just not the best question to ask. When we're facing suffering, the question that we need to ask, if we're focused on the overseer of our soul, is what? What do you want to teach me, God? What is missing out of my relationship with you, God? What are you trying to do in my life right now, Jesus? What can I do to serve you more holistically, Jesus? Ultimately, why is not bad, but what is much better? Because you get to ask the question, what do you want to teach me? Because Jesus always wants to teach us something. If you're paying attention, he'll teach you how to get through the suffering. If you're watching, he'll teach you what he's trying to do in your life. But if you keep asking, why? Why am I hurting? It hurts so bad. He's like, hey, I'm here. I want to heal you. In fact, I already healed you. Please receive your healing. Please receive all the strength and power and authority that you will ever need in my Holy Spirit. So like Peter shared, we have to remember what Christ has done, where we've come from. And if you haven't come from this place yet, today is a great day to come home, friend. Today is a great day to come on back to your shepherd. If you've been wandering like a sheep that's been led astray, if you feel like you've just been wandering around lost and you don't know where to go, Today is a great day to come to your shepherd because Jesus is ready to welcome you right back into the fold. To know that he's benevolent, to know that he cares for us, to know that he is strong and secure. And as we focus on the overseer of our soul, it ought to encourage us, right? If Jesus is just another option on the menu out in front of you, when the pain comes screaming at you, you're not going to be able to order anything off the menu. But when Jesus is front and center and he's the only thing that you can see and you can't see anything else without looking through Jesus... That's the only way that we can put suffering and submission into its rightful context. Suffering and submission, the rightful context of where they fit in, is a relationship with Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you don't understand about suffering yet. 
You may have suffered, but you don't understand that there's a reason for it. If you don't know Jesus, then you don't understand what submission really looks like yet. You may listen to your boss, but you don't understand that submission is actually freedom. This is the most freeing message that we could ever hear, yet Peter calls us servants and slaves, and we're supposed to follow somebody else. Yet how do we get complete and utter freedom from this? Because of Jesus, friends. I know this is not a lot of fun to talk about on a Sunday morning, especially a Sunday morning when winter just arrived, right? I get it. Suffering is a hard thing to talk about. But we have to understand that there's two sides of it. You're either suffering because you deserve to, <laughs> and God's trying to teach you something, He's trying to make you better, or you're suffering for the sake of Jesus, and he's with you, and it's a gracious thing in his sight. So as we understand believers in Christ will suffer for doing good, we have to understand that we're not alone in our suffering. Let's jump up to our feet, friends. We're going to sing a song together. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to sing this song called Jesus, I Come. And every single one of us can come to Jesus right now. If you have never come to Jesus before, I want to encourage you to put your flesh into submission under the Holy Spirit's leadership and lordship and come to this altar. Come down and say, I am done straying. I'm done wandering. I'm done doing it my own way. Jesus, I got to come home to the shepherd. And if perhaps you've been tempted to look at your suffering more than you're looking at your Savior, you can come to Jesus right now too. That we need to put our flesh under submission of the Holy Spirit of the living God and come home to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. Now this song, as we sing it, it's, just, it's called Jesus, I Come. And I want to encourage you, come to Jesus today. Now, whether you come to this altar, whatever you got to do, but you got to do it with Jesus. Father, I love you. I thank you. I trust you. I need you. We're desperate for you. We love you. Thank you that it is by your care alone that we can feel worth it. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and gave everything so that I could have anything. Thank you, good shepherd, that you are looking after me, that you are shepherding me, that you are loving me that you are caring for me, that you are protecting me, that you are feeding me and leading me. And you know everything about me and you still want me. What a privilege. What a gracious motivation. So may we look to you. May we focus on you. May we follow you through our suffering, knowing that you are working out something amazing in our lives. And suffering unjustly for righteousness sake is a gracious thing in your eyes. Thank you, Lord, that you are there with us, that you love us and Jesus right now collectively we say we're coming home we're coming to you Jesus because we need you and we can't do it by ourselves so Jesus we come we love you we praise you we trust you we ask in your mighty name together we say amen and hallelujah why don't you put your hands together for Jesus thank you for joining us as we study God's word together we would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.